on the road again I just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, still being recorded in the beautiful home office of Chateau Relaxo, Florida, and we're still continuing our series of stories from home because there's still no one traveling. Tonight, we're talking to longtime road warrior and good friend Dick Piper. This will be a two-part interview. Please enjoy part one, and thanks for listening. Hello, if you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Tonight, I have a very special guest, a good friend and fellow road warrior, Dick Piper. Dick, how you doing? I'm doing well, Steve, all things considered. How about yourself? Uh, about the same. We're, uh, we're still thinking we're living in Vegas here. We don't know what time of day it is, and you can start drinking before noon. That's just kind of it's kind of how it is. It's, yeah, sir. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're from? Favorite sports? That kind of stuff. A little background on you. Okay. Originally, I'm now down uh, in the Atlanta area, but I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, after college, I bounced a couple different jobs. Did some real estate. Did some appraising. Worked for McDonald's Corporation and the parent company. Uh, was supposed to get into the real estate development, but that kind of didn't pan out. And a friend of uh, friend of mine got me hooked up with 3M business products back in the late 70s. So I interviewed with 3M, and I got a job selling copy machines. I think probably 1978, just when plain paper was starting to become the norm in the copier industry. Of course, I did sell a fair share of coated paper machines like the old fax paper, electrostatic paper. But I started with uh, 3M for quite a few years in Jersey. And then I went to work for Toshiba for a little while as a major account manager and then uh, got hooked up with Nita back in 1985. And as you know, working for the same company, Nita then was taken over by Kyocera in the uh, 1990s. And Several years later, finally retired last uh, April, April 19. So 30, 34 years and what, three months, two months. And, and of those 30 plus years, how much was it spent being a road warrior traveling? Well, pretty much all of it. I mean, when I was hired, I was out of the New Jersey region and, and living in Jersey. My territory was uh, northern Jersey, New York City, and uh, New York metropolitan area, pretty much Long Island. I spent a couple of nights away, but I mean, I did a lot of driving, but mostly was home every night until uh, December of that year when I got promoted and transferred down to Atlanta. So I guess you could say as of December 2nd of 85, I pretty much lived on the road. Wow. So I've, I've only been really traveling for about 20 years. So I'm sure you have seen immense changes in the travel industry. Yeah, in in every in every aspect of it, you know, in in thinking about this um, podcast and some of the questions that you were going to ask, every time I I think about it, I come up with a different answer because there's been so many changes in every aspect of business travel, from driving your own car, the types of cars we have, the technology that has been um, 
developed over the years to make driving um, an easier way to travel, going then to air travel, which was highly controlled by the governments to basically not as nearly as much control today as far as ticketing prices and things of that nature, and hotels, which used to stink, are now better. So, I mean, it's gone from good to bad and bad to good. Absolutely. Well, you, and you talk about driving. When I first started, you would go and buy a yearly Rand McNally book at Sam's that had maps mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And then and then we got to MapQuest where you'd print out about a half a dozen pages and you'd have it in your lap to the probably now defunct GPS error. I don't think anybody has any standalone GPS units to now it's pretty much built into the, the dash of the car. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember many times pulling over to the side of the road and getting a map out of the glove box and opening it up on the hood of my car, trying to figure out, you know, because the road was out or I wasn't sure where I was or I just took a wrong turn. We carried a roll of quarters for the pay phones. There was God, no- yeah. yeah. <laughs> <That was laughs> and my dad was a road warrior. He worked for Xerox for a number of years. He was in a, the, the same industry. Yeah. Um, and uh, he had some good stories. I mean, would, what was your favorite airline? It depends. I mean, when I when I first got promoted and transferred down here, the, the travel agent we, that we used, uh, Sun Travel out of, um, I think they were in Norcross at the time, uh, Jeannie was the rep that I pretty much dealt with. And she got on the phone with Delta and um, Eastern that day when I contacted her. And she said, look, I've got a guy coming down here. He's going to be traveling almost every week. I think it would behoove you as an airline, if you want to treat this guy pretty good, give him some kind of status from day one and develop some loyalty with him. And Delta at the time said, no, that's okay. Let him earn his own wings. And Eastern said, hell yeah. And they made me silver right out of the gate, which at that time, silver, you could still get upgraded. I mean, silver was a pretty decent level back then. So commuting every every week for a couple of months from New Jersey down to Atlanta, and then traveling during the week, I was booking, you know, minimum four flights, you know, four legs every every week. So it didn't take any time until I got to gold. And once you were gold with uh, Eastern, you were pretty good. They used to count segments too, right? Where now it's based on dollars and miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every leg. I mean, uh, every every week I got four legs, and I th- I forget what what it was. I think it was maybe sixty back then to to be the ultimate. But Eastern Eastern had their main hub here in Atlanta, but, but they were always, you know, second class to Delta because Delta was the kingpin here. But Eastern, they just tried, they tried hard, and they really tried to win you over, and they did so many things over and above what you would normally expect to, you know, to keep you happy. And they were a great airline. I mean, I was very very sad when they finally went. Under. I mean, when they went under, I still had a million miles with them in the bank. They just the, went poof, the, disappeared. Wow. Yeah, the, yeah. The the um, the unions went on strike, and they were picketing outside the Atlanta airport. And I remember we were down in Orlando at a Saranda show, I think it was, when they finally pulled the plug, and a bunch of us got stranded down there. So we just rented a car and drove back from Orlando. But the next week, when I was taking a flight on Delta, you drive by the Atlanta airport, and all the Eastern union guys are outside with you know picketing saying hey we won and it's like yeah you won what you destroyed a, a great airline yeah. that's what you won yeah my uh my uncle was a pilot for them and mm-hmm. ended up being forced into into retirement due, due to all of that and then so once they went under you switched over to delta i'm sure being in atlanta 
Yeah, I did. But, you know, it was interesting. I was thinking over the years, um, a couple of different airlines tried to come in and establish a hub after Eastern went, went under. Uh, TWA was out of Atlanta for a while. And it seemed like uh, what the airlines that would come in, they would generally pick routes to, to open up with that were popular routes for me at the time. I was going to Fort Lauderdale a lot. I was going to Orlando a lot and Tampa. So that was a very lucrative route. So whenever anybody came in, those were generally the first routes that they picked. And they, they usually had pretty good fares, you know, aggressive fares to open up and try to get some market share. So TWA came in for a while. Pan Am came in for a while. Then um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. It was a startup startup operation called Air Atlanta, and oh, that was wow. pretty much a 727 all leather business class jets flying, you know, Atlanta to those three or four major markets in Florida. And that was they were around for probably a year and a half, two years. Mm. Do you remember Hooters Air? Remember Hooters yep. Air when they were flying into Myrtle Myrtle Beach? We always tried to go to Myrtle Beach. It was a pain to drive, but you really couldn't afford to fly there from Atlanta. So everyone, mm-hmm. that was going to be the big trip was to take Hooters. Yeah, I, think, I think they also flew to Trenton, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> of course. Besides Myrtle Beach, where else could you pick but Trenton? <laughs> yeah, who knows? But uh, No, I was was one day, I guess after after Christmas, I um, somebody gave me an airline book, you know, with all the – Commercial air, commercial airplanes on it, and I'm looking through it, and it's like flew that, flew that, flew that, flew that one. So I went through the list, and not counting the different variations of like a 737, they've had like 10 different varieties of a 737. Not counting all the different varieties, I think I counted up that I've flown on 23 different airplanes with 24 different companies. That's pretty good. Yeah, so, I'm. Mean, some of the newest ones that have just come out, and I never flew on a 747, and I'm not flown on the 787. I, ha- I haven't either. No, a couple of brand new Airbuses, but everything going back from DC3s, propellers with the you know with the tail, um, the rear tail wheel. God. Um, when you can still smoke on the airplane. Oh, do you remember that? But only in the back because the smoke stayed in the back of the airplane. It never not migrated. I, not when I was traveling. You could smoke anywhere. But I'm, I was, actually, when I was in college coming out of Ohio on a DC-3, we took off. And, I mean, this is a rickety old thing. I mean, something like from the Charlie Chaplin days. But we got up and lit up a cigarette. And I said, well, there's no way. What do I do for an ashtray? She said, I just put it out on the floor. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, that's how you can tell if you're on an old airplane, if they still have air- ashtrays in the arms of the seats with yeah. a screw in it to hold yeah. it. Yeah. Has has yeah. airline travel changed between the way you're treated and, and the yes. things that you see? Yes. I mean, go, going back to those, let's forget about the college days, but, you know, bi- business travel used to be something kind of, um, I don't want to say quite elite, but the government was still controlling the airfares. And I used to have to go to Jackson, Mississippi once or twice a year. And the airfare from Atlanta to Jackson, Mississippi, I can't remember how much it was, but it was like somewhere between six and $700 just to go to Jackson. And yet I could go to Hong Kong for 400 But it was all, it, you know, that was before the deregulation. And, you know, everybody business-wise wore suits. I mean, that, that, was, the, that was the attire back then. So you get an airplane, you know, whatever, whatever it was, and virtually 90% of the people that were on the plane were well-dressed. 
you know, suits and ties and and whatnot. And, you know, over the years, I mean, I'd say you can really judge how airline travel has changed. I mean, now you see people up in first class with short shorts and tank tops. And, and slides on their feet. Yep, absolutely. It was. And, and with my, my uncle being a pilot, we would occasionally get a fly standby and we had to have a jacket. As, you know, if you were flying on a pass or a standby, you had to have a jacket. And it used to be, you know, when I first started, we we flew in suits uh, with ties. And that was always a good way to hopefully get an upgrade is they'd see you being a little bit better dressed. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I don't know if that I don't know if that holds holds true at all. I doubt uh, it. Yeah, it's all about your dollars that you spend. So are you lifetime with Delta for anything? Yeah, I'm uh... – Let's see, when I hit, for some reason, when I hit a million with Delta, they sent me a really nice piece of Hartman luggage, and I don't know anybody else who ever got that. I came in the office one day, and I forget who who was there, whether it was Nancy or probably Becky, and she said, there's a box in your office, and I went in, and there's a huge cardboard box, and opened up, and there was a piece of Hartman luggage wow. that Delta sent me for hitting a million, a million miles. Um, I think... I think my total miles with with Delta was somewhere about a million five. That's then I had over then I had over a million with the with um, Eastern when they went belly up, and between all the other ones, probably another half a million I accumulated. So I'm probably about three million. Wow, that's that's a bunch. Mm-hmm. And and nowadays I was Delta Gold for a few years, which really didn't get you anything except on the plane early. It's it's tough, especially flying out of Atlanta. It was really tough to get an upgrade with gold. You had to be platinum or, or was it platinum or diamond, whatever the next level was. Yeah. I think they have a secret super diamond now or something. Yeah, they are. Platinum guys. I mean, I I went, I mean, I was platinum with Delta for several years and that was when you could make it by the number of legs. Like I want to say it was 80. I mean, that's still a lot of flying out of Atlanta considering my territory. And everything's direct. Back in the days before the, uh, before cell phones, I mean, we used to fly to Nashville. I'd fly to Charlotte. I'd fly to Savannah. You know, driving was a waste of time. You couldn't communicate or do anything. So at least if you drive to the airport, you got, you know, a bank of cell phones. You can make telephone calls there. You get on a plane 35, 40 minutes later, you're at your destination, and you hit a bank of, uh, you know, pay phones again. You're good. That that is true. The... uh... It has changed. Did you ever do any mileage runs at the end of the year when you were short? <laughs> um, well, since I'm not working for the company anymore, yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember one. I, I actually flew to Birmingham. It was toward the. It was sometime in December, and I knew I was going to be short, and and I was getting ready to drive to Birmingham, and I just happened to call the travel agent. I said, hey, "Anybody running any specials?" I just didn't feel like driving. I really didn't want to go. And they and, and I said, what would it cost if I wanted to fly to Birmingham, you know, like right now and then come back tonight or tomorrow? And it was like $69 round trip. I said, okay, let's go book it. And so I think I think my my parking at the airport cost more than the actual the flight. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. medallion runs don't happen or mileage runs don't happen like they used to because now it's so much tied to your credit card yeah. that you typically hit it you know, October, November, you pretty much know where you're, where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. But that was the big thing. But especially, like you said, flying out of Atlanta, because everything was direct, that yeah. all these guys coming out of Lauderdale had to connect in Atlanta. They, they mm-hmm. would always, you know, out, out get you when they were doing segments. 
Yeah, because they get they get many more legs, and I and more more often than not, wherever your destination was, their ticket was cheaper. Yep. And they got two, you know, they got twice as many things. So you know, it was kind of difficult out of Atlanta, but um, you know, it, it airline travel had just over, over the years has gotten harder. I mean, if you think back when I was when I was flying, the first plane I ever flew on was a Boeing seven oh seven, and that was seating that was three three with a center aisle and then three. And that the circumference of that fuselage is basically the same one they're using today. Is it really? On the 737s and the 720, you know, the old 727s with the three engines in the back. They use that same circumference. And, you know, the people today are a whole lot bigger than they were back then, but you still have the same same shoulder room. So that's kind of stinks. Well, wait till we get out of our houses at the end of this COVID thing. We're going to be a lot, lot bigger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These are going to be Weight Watchers or, uh, or an AA meeting. Be taking up two seats. Well, you know what, though? I think this is going to have a huge impact on business travel. I, I think mean, every- I, I really do. Because if you look, you know, the company that we work for, um, I never really had any travel restrictions. Nobody ever told me to watch my budgets or whatever, whether I was very cautious over the years and just spent my money wisely. But I mean, I, I don't think I abused it. But I mean, now that they've redone the territories, I mean, I, I think out of just the Southeast region, they're probably going to save well over about a half a million dollars a year just in air, tra- air, air travel. I, w- I would imagine. I would imagine. And now we have done so much remotely that mm-hmm. in the past we would get mm-hmm. we would get on a plane or do some air travel. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some, several of the dealers that both I and Terry uh, used to hit required, you know, flying. And now, since they've cut back on a lot of that stuff, and over the past year, or so the dealers' businesses, uh, I don't think have been impacted by not seeing them on a monthly basis. With the Zoom meetings now, you still can get a pretty much a face-to-face. Sure, Ab- absolutely. So, favorite hotel chain? Well, which years? <laughs> <laughs> overall, how about overall? Yeah. No, I'm a Marriott guy now, yeah. but when I but when I first started, Holiday Inn was the big one because uh-huh. Holiday Inn, you know, they had they had the largest amount of hotels in one chain, and they had the most fantastic frequent uh, stayer program that damn near bankrupted them. They did some kind of special where you got double points the first night of the stay, so at the end of the month when everybody would come into the region to close, you know, it was minimum of a three night stay. All the guys would book, book one hotel in Fairfield, then they would get one in Hasbro Heights, then they would get one back somewhere else. So they were always constantly moving, but 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 it killed it killed them. I mean, I don't know how many guys went to Europe for traveling less than six months. And I start I started out with with Holiday Inn, and then a mutual friend of ours, Chris Brown, who's been on here multiple times, got me hooked up on Hilton and credit cards and right. and, the, and the points. I was I mean for. I've I've been like the elite with every every chain that I've kind of ever stuck with. I mean, I was what's it with Hilton um, Diamond? Yeah, I was Diamond for a couple of years with Hilton. But it seemed to me that I liked the Marriotts better, and where I was going at the time, the Marriott locations were better. Plus, somewhere online I wound up buying a Marriott timeshare. So, I, not that that doesn't do with anything else, but if I keep all my points with one company, it tends to be good. And I've got I got about a million points in the bank with Marriott right now. Wow, uh, because my wife, Jackie, my wife was asking that. She goes, "How many points do you think Dick has banked away?" I said, "He's got to have a million 
Um, mm. and, and you're right, though. You know, it's the old proverb, uh, the man that chases two rabbits catches neither. You've got to stay loyal to whatever that program is for travel, whether it's Marriott or Hilton. Do you have a favorite location, Marriott location? Actually, yeah, and you've stayed there many times. The, the Spring Hill Suites in Statesboro, Georgia. Georgia. The, the, the busy metropolis of Statesboro, Georgia. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It, there's just something about it. I mean, we have a great dealer down there. They became very good friends of mine. So I look forward to going to Statesboro. You know, so it's like seeing a friend of yours once a month. But they got to know me down there and you'd walk in and they knew which rooms I liked. There was about four or five rooms and they would always save one of them for me. And that, that makes, that makes a difference. And you, you do something that a lot of travelers don't do though, is you know the name of the people because we traveled together several times mm -hmm. over 20 years, but yeah. you typically knew the people's name behind the counter, knew the manager's name, always introduced yourself. Can I bring you anything back? Mm -hmm. um, and that goes a long way, especially if uh, for all you baby road warriors out there, especially if you're going to be traveling in a territory where you're going to be there a lot, you know, take 30 seconds, introduce yourself and, yeah. and make it known and then um and that's a good town i i like that town there's some good restaurants there yeah one of the boiling pot and then um there's that other seafood restaurant but I, we used to like the longhorns there and we got to know the manager of the longhorns and we had a favorite waitress so i mean you know just the repetition and familiar familiarity just really goes a long way especially in a lot of the rural places absolutely so speaking of food uh any destination restaurants when you went to a certain town or any all time? Well, Steve, I'm not a huge gourmet, and you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't one to spend a lot of money to go out because most most of my dealers really didn't care about going out for dinner. They'd rather have a lunch and go home to their families, and that was okay with me. So I do a lot of takeout, but um, not really. I mean, it, you know, when I'd go down to uh, my better dealers, Longhorn was one. There's a local restaurant called Austin's out of Valdosta that we'd go to quite frequently. That's a good one. A couple, yeah. couple of nice restaurants down down in Valdosta too, but you know you kind of get into I don't know a pattern of I know I know I'm going there, so this is where I'm going to go. Uh, that's kind of how I am, and we would end up in Brunswick, Georgia, and we would hit up the uh, the Golden Corral. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was always a must have stop, and uh, well, that was more fun. It was more entertaining than it was nutritious, I'm sure. But, oh, absolutely, uh, nothing nothing better than a chocolate fountain. Yeah, you know, I mean, you develop these relationships. Years ago, when I when I was still handling wholesale, I was down in Tampa, actually St. Pete, at least once if not twice a month, and I'd always stay at the um, La Quinta right behind Bob Evans. I thought I thought La Quinta was Spanish for behind Denny's, so Bob is, Evans. <laughs> I mean, I was I was there generally twice a month, and I just got to know the know the people. And this is before they even had coffee makers in the room. So you get up in the morning and throw on something and walk across the hotel lobby to the breakfast area and get a cup of coffee and go back to your room. Well, one morning I'm walking across the lobby and Arlene, I remember her. I mean, this is like 1987. She looks at me and she goes, my, Mr. Piper, you look like hell this morning. And I, said, with her and I, go, I feel like I'm home. Not that you guys are going to say, I could have stayed home and got this. Yeah, I mean, it, just, it, just, it, it just made me feel comfortable, you know, and, and, and you, get, you get that. But, uh, yeah. and, and pe you know. People want to be acknowledged. You know, people like to hear their name, and, and that's part of sales is, is mm -hmm. extending that mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. Any celebrities that you've run into traveling? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I put them in two categories, people I've actually talked to or people I've seen. 
probably the most the most famous person I've actually spoken with for a few minutes was Oprah Winfrey. Wow. This is before she really became Oprah Oprah. I was in um, Washington uh, Reagan National, and this is when Eastern was still flying, so it had to be in the late 80s, early 90s. And actually, it was in the late 80s. And she was just kind of sitting over in a group of chairs by, by herself. I guess her entourage was getting some food or something. And she was there by herself. And I just walked over and started talking to her. I said, you know, Miss Winfrey, I hear you have a great show. You know, I work, so I can't watch it during the days. But, you know, when I have seen you, it's quite quite interesting personality you've had on. And I just want to say hello. Wow, that's cool. But she's probably the most famous. I mean, um, I had a great conversation with Hulk Hogan once on a U.S. air flight going from <laughs> That was pretty cool. Um, hey, brother. <laughs> he, was, he was okay. And uh, let's see, Curtis Strange, professional golfer. Lenny Wilkins, the coach of the um, – he was coach of the Hawks and good basketball player for years. Um, I've seen Chet Huntley and David Brinkley when they were both alive. Oh, that's cool. I'm trying to remember. There's, there's some other folks I just can't remember. Oh, a, lot I, of, I, a lot of sports people walking through the airport. And I'm not a big sports guy, but I was thinking about this the other day. All the, the sports people that I have met, I think you and I, we've met, who was it, Bruce Pearl, who was the coach, basketball oh. coach for uh, UT. We did something with him. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I met Stan White, who played for the Baltimore uh, Colts, um, the, the coach of the Jerry, uh, who was the coach of the Falcons. Glanville. Yeah, Glanville. I met him, and, and I just I'm yes. thinking about I'm not a sports guy, but all these all these people. Um, but nobody. I saw Max Cleland on a plane. I flew with him once, who was when he was a senator yeah. in Georgia. I saw um, Steve Van Zant in Newark Airport, probably within the last year or so. Um, but I yeah, I've never had any great run-ins with with uh, definitely not Oprah level. Mm, I'm sure she doesn't remember me, so she might. You or she, give me a car. <laughs> I was, yeah, you get a car. You get a car. Um, travel frustrations. What's the biggest travel frustration? Dealing with stupid people. That pretty much covers. That could be airfare, hotels. It, it, yeah, it's it's not it's not just traveling. It's just life in general. But you know, I, I understand that not not everybody travels. So a lot of times they don't know the ins and outs and where to go and so forth and so on. But I mean, some, some people that just don't have a clue and are too stupid to ask to try to get either directions or how do you do this or where do you go to do this? It's just, it's, it's frustrating, especially when you're, when you're on a time, time restraint, like you're late for a plane or something. I, I would, I would agree. The, uh, the movie up in the air with George Clooney, I reference that all the time, but I, I do, you know, when I go to TSA, of course with pre-check, it's not as prevalent but I never got behind people with strollers. I never got behind old people. Mm -hmm. um, if they look like they've never traveled before because you know they're going to forget to empty their pockets and they're going through the, the scanner three or four times. You, you learn those things by being a good traveler. You, yep. pay, you, pay, you pay attention to your surroundings. You know, and it's like, well, if I go over to, to the north side, there's probably a lot less people over there trying to get through the north side. So you walk well, over and their lines are nothing over there. Yep. For Atlanta, at one point, they had those TSA lines kind of down tucked for the T-terminal that nobody used, and it was a great way to get through there really, really quick. Or if you get a flight canceled, half the people are on Twitter moaning about it while you and I are on the phone calling direct to the desk going, hey, I need to get rebooked. I know more of a pet peeve than people than, than people that just don't know anything 
are the are the arrogant people that think they're special. That bothers me more. I just thought about that. Everybody thinks they're special. They, they're, you know, I'm more important than you are. You know, how, how come how come we can't take off? I, I don't care. I have an appointment in New York. You've got to get me to New York. Well, I'm sorry. Plane broke. Yeah, it's not, it's not happening. It's not happening. The pilots on the tarmac waiting to get into the gate. And things you just can't control. Now, I'm sure you remember 9-11. What were you, where were you? What were you doing 9-11? Oh, that's a day I'll never forget. I was sitting on a Delta 767 on the tarmac. As I was um, that that morning, actually, my flight was at like 8.32 or something, or flight number 8.32. But it was in the morning, and I'm walking through the concourse, and they had the TVs up. And I'm looking, and I see the World Trade Center, and smoke's coming out of one of them. And I looked, I mean, I was traveling by myself, but I thought, you know, wow, World Trade Center's on fire. So I get down to the gate, and they board us. And luckily, I was upgraded to first class on a 767. And I was sitting, I want to say, in like row 6D, so up against the window in the back, and we're sitting there. And one of the guys ahead of me, phone rang, and I hear him on the phone, and it's like, holy, no kidding. Really? And hung up, and it, he said, hey, that was my wife. She just said that a plane ran into the World Trade Center. And I said, oh, well, that's what I saw smoking. You know, and a couple minutes later, another guy's cell phone rings. And he says, yeah, we just found out about that. And it's like, oh, no. And then the second plane hit. And then a couple minutes later, my cell phone rings, and my wife's calling me. She says, hey, did you hear about the plane thing? And I said, yeah. You know, the World Trade Center had two planes. She said, no. Somebody flew a plane into the Pentagon. And I said, well, we're not going anywhere. So I, I stood up and got my bag and walked off the plane. And I said, These, everything's grounded. You know, at that point, I knew something good wasn't happening. So I walked out, just got my bag and walked out and got the shuttle and went to my car and drove home. And about five minutes after I walked out the door, they closed it. They locked down the Atlanta airport. Wow. So I got out before that. I mean, but I, I, I often wonder, you know, I really don't think that um, – the terrorists were 100% successful. There had to be other ones that didn't succeed or chickened out. And I'm on a plane leaving a major airport, going to a major city on the exact same planes, that they same were. kind of plane that all those guys were on, seven fives and seven sixes. Yep. And I, I can't for the life of me picture who was sitting up in seats one, two, you know, A, B, C, and D. I mean, it could have been somebody up there for all I know. Yeah. I mean, and we just didn't look at people that way. Now, you know, now it's, you know, everybody looks at everything. I was, I was actually heading to Knoxville that day and I had swung by the office and similar to you, I, I walked in, we had a TV in the break room and I see the, the, the smoking tower, went over to my desk to get something and came back around just in time to like see the second plane hit. Mm-hmm. And then probably, I don't know, within a few hours, they called us all off the road and said, you know, nobody's going, nobody's going on anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I think we had an office that overlooked the Pentagon, if I recall, um, mm-hmm. up there at, at the end of the, uh, at the end of that, uh, whatever they call it, the green or the knoll. Um, but that was a big change. And then going back into DC a few years later with all the barricades and things like that, I mean, that changed, you know, pretty much everything for us. Well, I, you know, I think we're going through something similar now. I mean, this, COVID-19 is changing our lives in ways that we don't know yet. 
Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to break this up into two episodes. So everybody stay tuned. We will post the COVID portion of this discussion right after this. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.